You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, my name is Virgil O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to say that my first guest of season six is a regular guest, Damien Brown, the great Irish adventurer, who's going to tell us all about his road from New York to Galway, the subsequent documentary that came out in RTE last year, and what he's going to do next. We'll be having regular episodes now for season six, so I'd ask you to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And just like the previous five seasons, I've got some great guests lined up this year and also some destination specials as well. So I look forward to sharing that with you over the year. So now let's hear from Damien. Damien, you're very welcome to the podcast. It's actually the first episode of season six. And I was just looking there and I didn't realise it till I looked, but you were actually the first episode of season one. There you go. And that was, yeah, and that was 2020. And it doesn't seem that long ago, 2020, but the amount of stuff in your life, if you think, like Everest, the the Rose, getting married, two kids. Two kids, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you put it like that, yeah. Yeah, it's been a busy four years. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Geez, uh, it seems like a lifetime ago when I had... um, Oh, as I'm sure every parent can attest to, they're like, what did I do with all my time <laughs> before I had kids? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've managed to squeeze in a few things, even despite the uh, amazing um, yeah. change in our life with our two little girls. And, you know, it doesn't get easier because I've got four and like we had this little lull because it's the start, you know, January. But now. My youngest guy's going back to sport next week and he could have like six days a week doing stuff and then have all the other ones doing stuff. So it's yeah. just driving around and cars and yeah. all that stuff. Collecting and all right. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. I've been warned. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how long? So did you, you were, I presume you were in Australia in Christmas, were you? I was, yeah. So um, we're we're based in the Sunshine Coast, Um near a, a lovely little town called Coulomb. So uh, we're not long up there now. We're only about seven or eight months. So yeah, I've been there since I had a um, a little trip to Tanzania to climb Kilimanjaro. I climbed it back to back, which was pretty cool. Uh, and then uh, ended up, I was back at home and then we had the birth of our second little girl, Fia. So up until whatever, 10 days ago, um, I, I had been at home for that period. And then I'm back in Ireland now for some um, for a theatre tour and some speaking engagements. And it's my first time back here for, uh, I don't know, eight or nine months. So it's it's nice to be home. Yeah. And, where, and you're in Galway, are you? I'm in Galway right now. Yeah. So in between the dates and that, I'm just using this as my base. Excellent. It must be lovely, is it, to get back there? It is, you know, I miss it tremendously. You know, I miss so much about it, the people, the culture, the community. So, um, yeah, it's great. I love, I mean, it's hard. It's very, very difficult being away from um, Roselle and, and our two little girls. But I, I also, on the same time, I do love being back in Ireland, you know. So it's it's a, it's a very strange um, uh, um, dynamic, but yeah, yeah that, that's the reality of it. 
And, you know, like we mentioned there about all the things that you've been doing for the last few years. So you've always been in the public eye, but I'm guessing it might have gone up another level since the row and the documentary before Christmas and now the tour. Have you noticed that? I landed in Dublin airport um, and I was waiting for my bag and uh, at the carousel, you know, and I saw a guy kind of eyeing me up. I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he came over to me and goes, "Are, are you the guy? are you the guy from the telly who rode across the Atlantic? And it all kind of came tumbling back to me because I not been here for the documentary. I kind of, I suppose I wasn't um, up to speed with, you know, how much that would have kind of, how many people would have seen it, how many people would have been aware, you know, you know, I I saw from afar that, you know, it was very well received and and I heard great kind of reports Mm -hmm. back, but it's only when you get back and then you realize that like, oh, you're probably a little bit more recognizable now because you've been on national TV just before Christmas, you know, doing something that is is quite um, remarkable, I suppose. You know, people, <laughs> people it, it sits in people's memory a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that moment kind of went, oh, yeah, you're back, you know, you're probably going to be a little bit more uh, recognizable now. But um yeah, no, that's true. I suppose I am. I am pushing myself out there a little bit more, and uh, particularly with the off the back of that, and then the you know doing a theatre tour around the place. Um, so you're you're sitting, I suppose, a bit more in front of people. Um, but it's all good. I don't yeah. mind. I mean, I've even noticed it because you've been on the podcast a few times. I've noticed since the documentary came out. Even the other day, I was in a bar and someone, a friend, started asking me about you. You know, okay. it, it's funny. I've noticed it, so that's why yeah. I guessed yeah. that you probably have really noticed it. And also, something I noticed is, is sort of people now, or maybe after seeing the documentary, are kind of come up to me and you know they feel like they know you and they're asking about you and they have their opinions about you and you know and <laughs> so that's a funny thing isn't it yeah you know i it's it's it, i mean it has good and bad sides and i um and the downside of it i find is the my now this is this is my responsibility and all that but it's my um almost need to try and explain and justify your the way you live you know and that can be a little bit draining at times there's so many there's and i mean i i'm i'm happy to i i i like to try and and explain it because i think there's great merit in it and i think it's a very fulfilling way to live and i think it can it can actually um you know if people are genuinely interested and curious there's something in it that could um impact their lives positively so i'm i'm always willing to try but some days you know the why the why the why you're like oh yes you know it's because it's a deep question you know and it's hard to summon the energy to go into those depths to try and explain it to the best of your ability like but uh so that that is something that comes up a lot for me and, and i do my best but some days it can be a bit draining when you've you know you're continually or constantly trying to kind of um, almost validate or justify the way you live. Yeah, that's interesting because you're right. That That's the question I always get. Yeah, back to exactly. Well. Yeah, right. Even exactly. I was, at, I was at a travel writer's awards actually um, at the weekend and I was talking to a guy and that it was the same thing. You know, I was saying, what question would you ask? And that's he's like, you know, 
well, he had an interesting one actually. One was like, why, you know, and then the other one, which I did think was an interesting one, was he sort of said, well, he wants to watch your next challenge was, but also, mm-hmm. do you have to kind of top the the challenge each time you do your next challenge? Which you yeah, know, do, do you feel that, or I don't know, is that a, is um, it? yes, I I do because that's a big part of the reason why you know it's about pushing those mental physical and mental limits and what that gives me you know um a deeper uh, connection with myself and with life and that is a very um deep sense of reward that keeps driving you back now the good thing is it's not this immediate um uh, desperate drive to go back. Like I, I don't have anything planned. I'm 15 months or 16 months now post, you know, arriving here um, in Galway off the North Atlantic row. And I'm only starting to think about things now, like what I might do next. And um, um, it's not like, it's going to be hard to top that in terms of challenge and difficulty. <laughs> I genuinely believe it's, it's up there with the hardest challenge on the planet, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's finding things that are, um, are going to challenge me are purposeful or meaningful, but are also, um, yeah, are, are also like, pushing those limits like i think you know ticking all those boxes which it has to do for me i'm not interested if it if it doesn't ticking all those boxes is tough to find things after you've done something like this so impactful on your life like you know um so yeah i have an acorn of an idea um it's just popped into my head in the last kind of week or two uh so um still have to build out that vision in my mind and see where it, if it is something I really want to um, commit to. But uh, yeah, I'm only getting there now, you know, the energy, energy reserves to even think about something like that. The emotional energy reserves are just, just kind of getting back to there. That last challenge then, was it that hard that, that it, it it's taking you that long to, to even think about something else? It was extraordinarily hard. It was just like soul destroying at times, like just crushing, despiriting. And it's just because I, I was putting my heart and soul into every single stroke, day, hour, minute after minute, and hour after hour, and day after day, and not getting um, the rewards for that mm-hmm. energy and effort and commitment and um, intention. You know, you can you can go, you know, you can fight that type of fight, you know, for two or three days, you know, fighting against winds and currents. And, you know, you mightn't get much reward and and then it's hard, like, but you're you're able to kind of keep going. But you try and do that for 60 days. It'll absolutely uh, pulverize you mentally and emotionally, you know, so it was just trying to summon the um the spirit and the heart to move that boat forward when i hadn't been rewarded for that you know in previous days and uh and and thankfully i was able to do that you know i was able because it meant so much to me to get across it meant so much to me to make um to achieve what i set out to achieve and for all the reasons attached to it so i was able to summon 
the energy to to continually try to move that boat into wind and weather like so i think the best um the best picture i can give you of that was uh, my last my last major milestone was 500 nautical miles to galway and the way you know i was counting down in 100 nautical mile blocks so next i'm thinking 400 okay and generally if the weather is not great and the weather is not too bad you know average weather conditions on the atlantic if you row for 12 hours you get around 40 miles a day you know you might get somewhere 37 38 or 42 43 but generally 40 is the number you just calculate off so i was thinking the weather hasn't been great it would normally take me two and a half days in average conditions to row 100 nautical miles might take me three days might take me three and a half days it took 13 days 13 days to row 100 nautical miles. And that's rowing 11 to 12 hours every single day. You know, as one day I rowed for 12 hours, I made two miles. Another day I made four miles. So that period, like, was, it just felt like I was in this um, ocean rowing purgatory, like, and I was damned for the rest of my life to stay in this mm-hmm. section of this um, ocean, you know. So you can imagine those, like, you know, there's thousands of strokes within that 13 days and uh, um, and and they had to be made. And it was hard to make every single one of them, not physically, but mentally and emotionally. It was hard. Like so. So I think that kind of that summed up. Now, that was the very extreme part of of um, this this crossing. But it kind of give, gives you, a, you know, a, a look into the trials and the challenges of it. And was there times that you would, did you allow yourself to go, God, I, I could give up? Or did you just keep that out of your head completely? I mean, there's lots of doubts, like there's lots of doubts and there's lots of um, destructive thoughts and negativity, you know, and and, and into despair, like into just soul destroying uh, despair. And it's just having the ability, the mental psychological um skill i suppose to um be able to um pull yourself out of those states and and focus on the thing that helps you achieve what you want to achieve so focus on the process take and take all the romanticism out of it (laughs) focus on the process but that's what it was right and put through do all within all my um the power that was within me or the influence just put all my energy and time into uh, rowing into the thing that was going to get me across. And, and that's the hard thing to do in those um, places. But that was that was the only way it was going to get done, you know, focus on um, the act of rowing and try to get better with every stroke and forget about forget about what um, the outcome is going to be in terms of like, I don't attach yourself or accept that the outcome is going to be um, not what you want and just keep working and just keep working and just keep working and knowing, at least hoping it will change. It will change at some point. Do you, you use visualization beforehand, like when you're preparing, don't you? So and you go through all sorts of different, I presume you, you go through all sorts of different scenarios so before this role with yourself and Fergus, did you go through that? Like, did you were you able to visualize possibility that it would be just you that Fergus would? Be, you know what I mean? Or was that something yeah. that you hadn't planned? Do you know, 
It happened, but it happened indirectly. It wasn't a, a deliberate visualization that I I I I imagined and I sat down and I practiced. So um throughout the training, the preparation period, I was I was very worried about um Fergus and his um uh his engagement his cognitive engagement was he i was like is this guy really does he understand how how dangerous it is and how um difficult and challenging it is so i was trying to get him to take and the the the, the way i saw in trying to um get him to um start to think more about what was coming and how he had to prepare was to take responsibility for more of the project. So <clears throat> the re- and the way I w- went about trying to get him to take more responsibility was um by sent literally sending him questions that he would have to think about. So one of the questions I maybe it's a bit ironic but I sent him was with, with that in mind was what are you ready to row away from New York if I'm knocked down two days before we're meant to um, leave? And the hope with that question was he'd start to think about all the systems that are on board, the seamanship, physical, mental, and start to go, oh, hang on, I have holes here. I don't really know how to use the VHF radio or you know, have I really thought about leaving New York Harbor or, you know, am I abdicating that all to Damien? So that's what my hope was, um, that he would like realize, fuck, I need to do a bit of work on this. I need to learn more about that. I need to kind of, and, and, you know, and all that would make it a safer crossing and a probably a more successful one. So in posing him the questions, I started posing them to myself as well, course, yeah. you know, kind of indirectly. So then, when I when I was thinking about um, well asking Gussie, you know, do you think you're ready to leave if I'm you know not available? Uh, and then I was like, am I ready to leave if he's not available? Like, so I I had kind of indirectly visioned what it would look like if I was just to row alone. Yeah, so 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 it wasn't a deliberate visualization, but it had come up within the preparation period. And how are you getting on now? Have you seen Pretty him good. since you came back? I have. Yeah, I met him for a coffee about what was it three, four, five days ago. And we could chat and I gave him those. I, I had it framed just before we, um, after the row, like a year ago or so before we went back to Australia, but I didn't give a chance to get, get it to him. But it's like there was three um, parts of the oars. So I, I brought six, we brought six oars and four of them were smashed up. And I happened to grab kind of handles and oar heads when they were smashed and stored them. So I had a bit of that. Uh, one of the oars framed for him, you know, so I got to give him that and we had a good chat about things and, you know, because it, it's not been easy with us been like thousands of miles apart and um, and it'd been a traumatic event for both of us, you know, it was traumatic for him, it was traumatic for me. So, um, you know, being kind of typical male characters, we hadn't, hadn't really talked about it much, you know, we kind of avoided it because it's a, it's a difficult conversation. So, you know, and the space and the time away from each other probably didn't do us. It didn't do us any good. So it was great to catch up and uh, and just um, chat about it and chat about it and other things as well, you know. Which is brilliant. I'm delighted to hear that, you know, because <clears throat> yeah. there's a few articles just around the time 
when yeah. they, when it came out, but uh, I suppose they emphasized that's were, right. Yeah. Probably helped help the the documentary, you know. But maybe, yeah, exactly. It, it yeah, intrigued people, you know. Um, that sells, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, and and listen, you know, we, we weren't in a great case now, but it was completely blown out of proportion. Yeah. But what can you do? I know, but it, I loved it. I have to say, like the the documentary, because it it showed, um, you know, really came across everything. And you know, even for example, again, as I said, someone people keep coming up to me, and the the thing they keep talking about was like the argument in just before you left. And I'm always going, <laughs> I know what my best mates like. Which your best mates? You can you can you know if someone filmed best mates arguing, and a half an hour later, like right. That's what a true good friend is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've been there loads of times. Of like, course. You know, um, and that's it. You know, there was so much pressure in New York. Like those we had because we were a little bit underprepared when getting there because, uh, you know, I was in Australia. He was in Ireland. We were trying to coordinate this thing from afar a little bit. So there was a lot of work to do in New York. You know, you're looking for a weather window as well. We had a three week shipping delay, um, which meant we were right at the end of the season. Um, so uh, we had this, you know, intense period of running around Manhattan and New Jersey trying to get last bits and pieces, pack the boat. Like, I don't know if people understand, but you have to be. It's unsupported, right? So everything that you can possibly think of need, like any scenario that could, you can possibly think of happening from you know a infection to a toothache to breaking an arm to a burn you know to um survival the boat sinking you have to be ready for it so there's a lot a lot that has to be on that boat so we had to gather up all that and then there's there's other commitments, right? There's PR, there's sponsors, there's the documentary, there's um, training. So, yeah, you know, and, and New York is a, you know, it's a, it's a big place and you go looking for one thing and it's not there. It's going to take you a while to get to the next place, you know, so we had this mental period. So I think that there was a few reasons that that happened. And one of them was just the pressure we were both feeling at that point, you know, just it was just a. And, you know, it was a projection of all of that stress and pressure coming out at that moment over a little innocuous enough thing like, you know, but that's what happens, right? That's what happened. I I, and I think I just think it's gas. You mentioned it there and I was reading an article as well. And, you know, you got you had six oars and four, you know, Mm. you lose four. So you only had two left. And I was kind of going, how do you decide on six? Like, would you like could you have had eight or you know what I mean? It's amazing to think you you'd only two left off Ireland. I know, yeah. I didn't like. They're normally a bit more robust, but I think just the 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 ferocity of the North Atlantic. Uh, so I two of them, two of them are lit, two of them are still out there floating around. They were ripped off the boat in a capsize, like, and it was it was it decimated the boat, like it was absolute. It was a ferocious. It was um, a storm that was just downgraded from a hurricane twenty four hours earlier. You know. 10 12 meter waves uh, gusting at over 100 kilometers an hour it was it was wild like so it capsized at one point and uh our second capsize of three in the first five hours of that storm and i'm sitting in the cabin after kind of remedying it and i'm looking outside and i see two of the oars are hanging on by cable ties you know on one end and the other the the, the blade of the oars in the water 
and I had to um I I was sitting in the cabin naked like and I have to make this decision um do I go out in that and try and save those oars or do I stay safe and just say goodbye to them and then obviously threaten the success of the capsize because I have them for a reason right mm. and I I just had to try and go and my harness uh, had was on the other end of the deck so I had to get across that deck as low as I could, as stuck to it as I could, as fast as I could. So I have to get out, close the hatch immediately because any water in the cabin is threat to electrics. And then, you know, I'm, and then I got to scamper across that deck without, and if I'm very unlucky, a big wave or we capsize at that time, I'm gone because I'm not attached to the boat. I'm dead. Like that's it. It's all. So you can imagine that decision has to be weighed up all in nanoseconds as I'm watching these two oars, the blades of them sitting in the water. So, yeah, it was, you know, uh, so that was, you know, I got one of them. I saved one of them, but the other one got torn away as I was pulling in one of them. Like, so, um, and then I asked another two through capsizes. Um, so, yeah, by the time I got to within 100 miles of Ireland, I had only two oars. And it led to uh, extraordinary amount of kind of uh, treading a line of success and failure over the next few days because, you know, I had to row in really big conditions, treacherous conditions, conditions of capsize, knowing that if I do capsize, I'm probably going to break an oar. But if I don't row, I'm probably going to get blown onto land and rocks near Kerry. So so there was this mad period where I had to row for 30 hours in like uh, gale force eight, force nine winds. And I'm constantly like every split second i'm trying to reevaluate like am i making is this the right decision for right now and i got to a point where i had been knocked off the seat twice um by huge waves on my right hand side and i was like this i'm i'm very close to a capsize here so i just have to store the oars but i still wasn't far enough north clear of land so I spent the next 45 minutes kind of almost holding my breath in the cabin, just looking at the the boat on the GPS screen, hoping that the weather would continually drive me north past that, um, past the northern tip of the Dingle Peninsula. So I would get into that kind of that little cut off where, it, you know, it cuts way back into North Kerry and County Limerick. And thankfully it did. But like. So this, you know, these this was the scenario when I was only left with two oars like that. If I break one in these conditions, its expedition is over, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was extraordinarily kind of stressful that last period with just two oars. Actually, I have another podcast called uh, "It's Galway City, Your Council. It was for Galway City Council. And I interviewed Brian Sheridan, who's the harbour master. Yeah. So I was asking him about, he said that was one of the best things he ever had, you know, like an amount of different things, you know, that he's had over the years. But that day yeah. when you came in, he just said the atmosphere was unbelievable. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Now I was a bit of a, you know, it, it didn't end the way I wanted it to end because, yeah. um, you know, I had this vision of rowing into Galway for, for, for a long time, for well, well before I started in New York. And then, <clears throat> I just happened to get to Galway Bay um, when it was cranking, a storm was cranking up. So it was kind of 35 knot winds when I was to the north, when I was trying to row east into Galway. So they were just on the side of my boat, just pushing me towards land. And it was very little, very little I could do about it. Um, so I 
ended up crash landing in a place called Furbo, um, <laughs> about seven miles from Galway City at one o'clock in the morning, you know. So by the time I got to the docks the next day, you know, I was actually a bit reluctant, you know, when I was going, I was because my first thought was failure, like I failed here. Um, Just mad. I couldn't fucking believe it where it ended that way. So by the time I was the next morning when, you know, MacDara and who's involved was kind of managed a project. He was ringing me uh, and he brought me home that night. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do about tomorrow. And, you know, he went back to the office and he put out a press release at four o'clock in the morning. So then um, he rings me and goes like, people are still coming. Like they don't yeah. give it. He ended up like on the rocks. They're coming and here's the options. You want to go out in the rib? Do you just want to turn up on the docks? Do you want to go out in the rib? And I was like, oh, I don't really want to do any of them, to be honest. Because I, you know, I was still like a bit gutted about the night before. Um, now I was coming around a little bit, but I'm so glad I did. Mm-hmm. So glad I did, you know, um, um, go in. And then we came in on the rib and then just to see the amount of people and, the, you know, the the impact like people had come from dublin wexford mm-hmm. you know all over the country like to be there at 10 o'clock 11 o'clock in the morning on a tuesday in october like mm-hmm. they'd obviously not gone to work people had taken their kids out of school you know it's just to witness that like i even now i look back on it sometimes when i'm um uh when i'm you know putting my show together and i'm using yeah. some of the clips and i see it in their eyes like i'm just yeah it was it was a beautiful morning and um yeah i'm so glad that i i, I did get the chance to you know experience it on some level and i actually did get the chance to row the boat into the docks as well because by the time that morning had kind of um had simmered down a little bit and people had kind of um you know headed on their way uh they'd got the they'd fished the boat off the rocks in the furbo and, and the a family a Galway family called the olivers from the clada they had brought it in so it was just sitting about four or five hundred meters um attached to their boat just out past the entrance to the docks so i got brought out by the guards in their little uh rib and then i got to row back in uh so it was really nice it was a nice bit of closure on the whole thing yeah and you know like like all these adventures you know like all the lessons you've learned, like, did you still surprise yourself then on that trip or do you think you're still learning all the time? Uh, I'm definitely learning. Um, I'm definitely deepening myself through the the challenge of the adventures. But um, but I did surprise myself like I there was there was moments out there where so my room, my daily routine was wake at 3 a.m., and try to be on the oars for four at latest. And then I would get about an hour's rowing in the dark and then dawn. And then I'd have as much, I had to make as much of the daylight as I could in terms of rowing hours. Because nighttime then was a, it's a nightmare to row in the dark at night. So that's why I only give myself an hour. I tried to just kind of squeeze out an extra hour in the morning to do that. But at nighttime, uh, it's just because it's a route that has firstly a lot of cloud cover. So even if there is moonlight, it's probably blocked. Um, so it's dark 90% of the time, pitch dark. Like I, can, I can't see four meters. I literally can't see four meters in front of me. And when you're rowing, you need to be able to see what the waves are doing so that so you can place your oar 
um, to the best of your ability to make the most of the stroke. And when you can't see, it just becomes a shit show, you know. So I didn't really... There was the lack of proficiency of rowing at night meant I didn't want to row at night. Like So it also meant that I could have a, a few hours of um, a block of sleep if I made the most of the daylight. So all this meant that I was getting up every morning at 3 a.m. And you have to pull yourself like you're... You can imagine now that the only safe place is that bed. It's the only comfortable place. Um, it's the only warm place. It's kind of dry. It's the least wet place on the boat, right? <laughs> and uh, you got to get yourself up at three o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black outside. Um, wild, wild. Um, and you got to pull on wet clothes uh, and oh. crawl out into that and start rowing for an hour, probably in the dark. Well, and then obviously the rest of the day. And I did that. I was so disciplined. I surprised myself. I every morning, despite the uh, resistance internally and externally, despite going backwards, despite when there's nobody looking, there's nobody around. Nobody's going to know if you stay in bed an extra ten minutes, an extra hour. And every morning, I just I was like a fucking machine. Like, and I, I was I was actually surprised myself. Like that, the alarm would go off, and I'd be up like a shot. I just wouldn't give my mind any opportunity to make a decision that I wouldn't want or like or serve me. And I was just gone. I was out. I was in this routine and I was just like, and I, I remember thinking like I almost been surprised by my own capacities to be so disciplined under so much stress and under so much adversity and just to be like a fucking machine. Like, And do you still train now since you've finished? How are you like, are you, what, how is your training comparing? Oh, like, like so i i haven't really i so i am training yeah but i i i haven't got anywhere near the intensity that um i would need for something like that or um even the amount the volume that i'm training wouldn't be anywhere near it's just because you i need you need something you know you need a big driver to be able to push into those really hard um voluminous intense training periods and cycles and sessions so don't have that at the moment so i'm just i'm kind of just trying to um train for um health for you know for progression like i'm trying to get stronger i'm trying to get fitter but but i i wouldn't be anywhere near at the level that i would have needed for preparation in this you know but i'm slowly getting there you know i there's a there's a what I call a rebooting period post a big expedition. You know, you got to give your body firstly an opportunity to convalesce and rest um, and recover. And then um, and then the kind of, you know, you get that urge to start doing something again. And it's, then it's very much a step, you know, small steps, small steps, small steps until, you know, it's time to commit to a big training program for something meaningful. Would would Everest be on the list still? Or yeah, um, yeah, it would. Um, you know, I, I definitely have aspirations to um, stand on top of the world. I would love to have uh, an opportunity to do that again, and, and I hope to give myself that opportunity. It's just, um, it's just really uh, challenging now with young family. You know, to be you know, if you go to Everest, it's kind of nine weeks 10 weeks away from home eight weeks maybe at, at the least so uh you know we've a three-year-old and a um five-month-old so it's it was you know 
I have to be very conscious and uh, respectful and aware of that sacrifice I'm asking. And I, I'm just not prepared to ask it at the moment because mm-hmm. it's not fair. It wouldn't be fair. And fairness is a value that's very important to me. So, um, yeah. So whatever I do next, the, the, um, the problem I'm trying to solve in that is how can I do something where I'm not away from family for two months, three months, four months, like I was on the Atlantic, four and a half months. So that's not the best thing for my family or our family right now. So, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe walk across the desert in Australia or something like that. Uh, yeah, it with them be behind me. I'll drag them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And tell us, how are you finding, so this is going out on Tuesday, the 30th, so you'll still have Waterford and Cork, the Everyman and oh, Theatre Royal. So yeah. how are you finding that now, like being able to tell your story in front of a live audience? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm just glad people come, you know. <laughs> you put yourself out there and because normally my speaking is all corporate stuff. So yeah. I was like, you know, well, I'm a speaker, so let's do it like let's go and speak and let's put it put myself out there and it's a challenge of course public speaking and you know um and then there's a lot when you make that decision of course it's it's into the unknown and when there's unknown there's fear and when there's fear there's all sorts of conversations going on inside your head like geez you don't so nobody might come like what are you going to do if nobody comes? <laughs> so, so thankfully, people are coming. You know, in full houses in Belfast, Sligo, and Dublin, and Cork looks like it may fill up in the next couple of days. Very close to it. Uh, so, and Galway is full. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's great. Like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged, privileged that people are taking time out of their lives to come hear the story, and uh, and they seem to be getting something from it, and. Um, I enjoy it once I've started, you know, it's always, it's a bit like a rugby match. Uh, You just want to start, you know, get out of that state of anticipation and get into the action. So once I'm kind of into the flow, it's very enjoyable. Um, But it's, it's, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy gig, the public speaking. I know. I suppose you can use the same techniques you use for, you know, you know what I mean? The the, the kind of driving through and the belief. And that's why I think your thing is great from a, from motivational point of view, even I was looking at your video on your website before I came on and you kind of were talking about, and you kind of said about, it's not for everyone, you know, it was a great line about pushing yourself, etc. So, you know, you can yeah. use the same techniques, can't you? And yeah, uh, yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's so much of it is just controlling your mind in those states of stress or, you know, doubt and just, you know, linking back into what's within your control. Same thing I do in the middle of the ocean, you know, you know, linking back into making that mind-body connection, linking into my breath or linking into my um, attention to a, a body part, bottoms of my feet or something. So it's the exact same thing when you're preparing for a, a talk, like you're just trying to control that mental space and uh, and, um, and, the, and and the effects it's having over you, you know, because that's the stuff that will throw you off. And yeah, so it, it, again, you know, I, I really enjoy it because it's it's challenging, you know, and when you finish the night and it's gone, you've performed well or, you know, you've you've done well, like you, you get a great buzz out of it because it's, it's not easy uh, and you're learning that way. I have a friend, Jed, actually went to the first night uh, in Loud and he loved it. And um, so, Stephanie, I think that's something that you could you could do more tours of that yeah. for definite. Because we're hoping, um, actually, yeah, that we're hoping to do another one in um, November. Excellent. So, um, you know, hit some of the 
parts of the country we didn't get to get get yeah. to organize this time like uh somewhere in the midlands like burr or athlone or mullingar um limerick letter kenny you know so we're we're organ we're starting to organize that now so yeah november this year looks like we'll do a second second kind of national tour excellent and as i said you were you were the first guest on my first season so you just mentioned there about you actually took like at one stage you were talking even about this role and it was way before it had even happened. So I want that exclusive when when you yeah. when when that germ, sure, yeah, an idea. It, it yeah, we're going to announce it actually. Um, probably so. Um, yeah, maybe November as well. Do a proper launch of it. So uh, I'll let you in on the. Uh, we'll, we'll have a little chat before that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll um, give you the exclusive. So listen, thanks so much for your time and continue on. I love following you. I love I love the pot your podcasts and even Kilimanjaro. I, I did Kilimanjaro and we you did you'd done Kilimanjaro years yeah. before, hadn't you? Yeah. What yeah. was it like going back actually? Oh, it was great. It's great. I it's just I think the great thing about Killy is the people. The, yeah. you know, just the 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 guides and the porters, they just make the experience so enjoyable. Like the, just yeah. the difference. A different look or a look into a different way of living and, and seeing things and, you know, a different culture. And, you know, um, so that was a great thing. It was, yeah. it was great to be back. I loved it. That's interesting. You're right. Actually, that's my memory. It's always uh, poly poly. The, yeah. the, the, you know, yeah. and I that's still true. say it to my kids that when you were when we were walking, you know, yeah. and it, you're right. That's what makes it. They were. That's my memory of it. Uh, what That made it so special, you know. Right, they are they're special, yeah. and the the singing, you know, the so as you're walking along, like uh, throughout it, they're just they're, I think some of the happiest people I've ever met in my mm. life. Amazing, just like just and they, it's this genuinity and sincerity, and they've yeah. this vibration of goodness, you know. Exactly. And just to spend time with people like that is a is a privilege. Yeah. So, yeah. When I, when I did my one, when I got to the top. Like, you know, a few days you're kind of with your guides, but you see other groups and you see other guides. And there was these South Africans. And when we got to the very top, they asked me to take a photo. And then they all kind of, no one would, then they just, I asked them to take a photo of me and they just ignored me. And, I, you know, I saw you in your video, about, you were kind of saying about getting emotional at the top. And I suppose it was probably emotional. But I just laid into the South Africans <laughs> because I had seen them for four days yeah. and they were tucked in behind and their guides and they were being rude and not nice. And I just laid into them and the guides were like, thank you very much. But it was yeah. funny. You're emotional, aren't you? At the top. Sure. Yeah. sure yeah. You don't give a shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't have it. Come on. But listen, thanks. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk again in November. I'm excited. Yeah. To hear Sounds what the great. next project is, and best of luck with the rest of the tour and more. Thanks very much, Fergus. Thanks for having me on. I'd ask you to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you'll be the first to know whenever a new episode is coming out. I'd also ask you to follow me on Travel Tales with Fergal on Instagram, and you'll get updates on what's coming next. And if you did enjoy the episode, I'd encourage you to rate and review the episode as it helps other people to find this series. Take care and safe travels.